0: I want to greet all of you in christ's name tonight, the only name that is worthy to be uh, spoken about and uh I was telling some of the um, some of the people as we we're coming in. I think it's been twenty some years since I set foot in the in Maple Lawn church building, but I think it's more like thirty some years uh I think the last time that I've been inside Maple Lawn Church House was when I was in the first grade, and we would have back then sometimes they'd have their their school programs here and uh I remember standing up front here in that one of those first programs and uh and now I'm standing up front again that's kind of odd, isn't it but uh God works in our lives, does he not he He moves in us in sanctification and um, sometimes the journey isn't always easy and God took me on some pretty significant journeys in my life waywardness and rebellion and finally finally salvation and so I'm grateful to my Savior tonight for redeeming me and uh, I trust you've experienced the same thing in your life. I uh, will be talking about a subject that is probably, has probably become one of the, the closest and the dearest things to my heart in the last five years and that is the church and the family and The title of my message tonight is The Church Needs the Family and the Family Needs the Church. We live in a time and an age where the family is not honored and respected. The family is undermined by so many things. I like to call them, as I've heard another minister say, they're, they're little alien thought processes or philosophies that we tend to grab onto because of what society, which we live in, dictates to us. And if we're not careful as Christians, we we grab onto those little alien thought processes and we, we start practicing them. And it's those things that undermine our families. And as a result of that, it undermines our church. And so I am keenly aware that when our families are undermined and our families begin to disintegrate, the church begins to disintegrate as well. Both of these are, are, are set in place by God. The family was ordained by God first, and then the church was ordained by God. And because we live in an individualistic society and we we tend to be individualism or or practice individualism in our hearts, our carnal self kind of leans towards our individualistic, what we like, what we we feels good to us personally. And um, because of that, we undermine the family structure. Scripture teaches us that if we don't humble ourselves and repent from these things that God won't bless us. And I believe tonight that the the, the church is in danger. And what I mean about the church, I mean the local body of believers is in danger of losing its identity in Christ. Because our families are being eroded and undermined by different philosophies and thought processes that we encounter and we grab onto that are being taught, brothers and sisters, I'll be just really blunt. They're being taught in our circles. I'm not going to go into details, but be very, very careful what, what you begin to believe and understand. Things that sound really good and, and true and honest. Sometimes, are deceptions of Satan. There is nothing more that Satan wants than to destroy the family and thereby destroy the church. And the way he's going to do that is make us feel like we're doing okay when we're really not doing okay because we have grabbed on to something that sounds really good. False teaching is always, sounds right, and has maybe the majority of truth in it. But has a little bit of false in it, and we are, we we have a hard time sometimes if we're not in the Word, if we're not faithful with our relationship with the Lord. It is difficult to pick out those false teachings. So let's be aware. The church needs the family, and the family needs the church. I'm going to begin by turning to Ephesians chapter six. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter five. If you would turn there tonight for our foundation. I believe we look into God's Word to find the foundation, the structure that I want to build on tonight. And primarily, we'll be focusing on the family, okay? Because I believe it is in the family that we find how spiritual the church is. If our, if our families are not spiritual, our church will not be spiritual. It is in the home where we find the temperature of the church, okay? it's not in the church it's not in the youth group it's not in the school it's in our in our homes in our families where we take the temperature of how spiritual we are and 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 how spiritual the church is reflects on how spiritual our families are in our congregations and i take that seriously because Scripture teaches me that I am the leader of my family. And when I fail as a husband, as a father, as a leader, I will give double answers to God. It rests on my shoulders. I will answer a lot more to God than my wife will, because He has ordained it that way. And so I take that very seriously. Let's read. And this is our foundation. I love Ephesians. Ephesians has become real in so many ways. There's there's a doctrinal way and then there's a practical way. It's split right in half. And now we're going to look at at uh, chapter 5. And we're going to read down to, to chapter 6, verse 4. We're going to begin in verse 20. Let's go to... Um, Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wives. This is in chapter 5, verse 15. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Isn't that true? Way back then, Paul was saying, redeem the time. Days are evil. I wonder what he would say today. They're super evil. Let's be honest. And we live in them, okay? Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. By the way, just a side note, a bunny trail here. If you ever get confronted with music and worship, right here. This is how we worship. In our hearts to the Lord. That's the instrument that we use. Not the drums, not the guitars, not the side note. You can take it from Ephesians, you can take it from a number of scriptures. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, it says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And and there's the end of the sentence. That's the end of the paragraph. Okay, so he was talking to us believers. Now he goes right into and talks to wives. Verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Here we have it. We have the husband and wife. What is husband and wife? Family. And then he goes on and he says, um, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now we have the church. So right in the beginning here, in verse 22, he starts talking about the family setting and the church. He compares them. Okay, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is a savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife, loveth himself. Talking about the family. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For no man, I'm sorry, verse For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. Talking about the church. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they, sh- they too shall be flesh, one flesh, family. This is a great mystery, Paul says. It's, it's, there's some mystery in this thing. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. There you have the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. And then we go into chapter 6. And children, here we go. Children, family, children... Obey your teachers, your preachers. Is that what it says? No, it says your parents. Your parents. That's the family unit. Okay? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And the promise is this, that it may be well with thee, and, that, and, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And then he admonishes us fathers. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There we have the foundation for the church and the family. Family and the church. You cannot separate them. There are two basic meanings for for the word church. And I'll just give those to you. In Scripture, when it talks about church, it often refers to the local body of believers, which we have here tonight. But it also refers, as sometimes in Scripture, to the church universal. So there's two, de- two basic definitions for the church. The local body of believers, which is the manifestation of the, the is, is locally the manifestation of the entire church. Church of Jesus Christ, which includes people in Liberia, people in Haiti, people in Belize, people all over the world who have, get this, who have sincerely believed on Jesus Christ and repented. Not just that I have named the name of Christ, okay? We've got to make that clear. It has to be according to Scripture. Jesus Himself said there's going to be many that say, Lord, Lord, have we not? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the church universal who have truly, those people who have truly repented and turned and have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is the church universal. This is the local manifestation of that body. And it is here where we focus. Because here, and at Sandy Ridge, at Bethel, at Clay Street, these, wherever. This is the local manifestation of the church universal. And so here's where we focus, and here's where we learn to be Christians. It's not out there, it's here that we learn to be Christians. And so that gives you a definition, the two definitions that Scripture talks about concerning the church. Just a note, something that you might want to jot down. Some of you may disagree with this, but I believe it is absolutely biblical. Jesus Christ is not coming back just for me. Okay? He's not coming back just for you. He's coming back for His bride, the church. You and I make up that bride. Lord willing, we're faithful, we'll be taken up with that bride. We will be part of that. But that concept is so foreign in today's Christianity because individualism and who I am matters. That's, it's all about who I am and what I like and how I feel. That's the way we do Christianity. Brothers and sisters, that's not the way we do Christianity. That's not the way we live and walk with the Lord. This is how we live and walk with the Lord. And out of this is how we minister to people. Not my own thing. My own individualistic thing. But together... Here is how we do it. Jesus Christ comes back for his bride, the church, and he will he comes back for the local church, which includes your part of the Church Universal. Individuals We there is there is this idea, and, and it is true. We put a lot of emphasis on a personal Individual relationship with Jesus Christ. That absolutely is true. But when we focus so much on that, that we forget our brothers and sisters in our congregations, there's the little alien philosophy, okay? We forget that it's my brother who sharpens me, it's my brother who cares for me, it's my sister. Who comes along and puts her arm around me and says, "I'll walk with you"? But when we focus so much on it's just just me and God, just me and God, and for you everybody, it's just me and God. That is incorrect. It's not biblical, and we we grab that is what society or Christianity talk teaches and and, and has a, wants to have us believe. We must understand that Christ died for the church. We must teach our children that. We'll get into that a little bit later. Now I I would like to define the family. And we find terms in Scripture that concern family. The family of Noah. It it specifically talks about the family of so-and-so. But we also have things like the household of, or a father and mother, and daughters, sons and daughters. It talks, it, those, that terminology is used throughout Scripture, from, from the beginning to the end. It, it, it talks about that. And so we have a biblical foundation for the family. There is nothing that should make us believe that family is not important. When you read scripture, you come. You have to come to the place where you understand that children are a blessing and that family is important. Why? For the kingdom's sake. Not for my sake, but for the kingdom's sake. multi-generational vision must be part of our theology. Our thinking. God the Father, Jesus the Son... Mother and father. Miriam Webster says this the family is defined as a group of individuals living under one roof, being led by one head. That's Miriam Webster. That's the definition. And it is on the family that I would like to focus specifically tonight. Why? You would want to ask, perhaps, why? Why focus on the family? I'll give you three reasons. I believe that the family was first. The family unit was first ordained and put in place by God at creation. The family was first put in place in order that we might begin to understand the order and the structure of the family and the church. God put it in place first. He didn't put the church in place. He put the family in place first so that we begin to understand His order Number two, the family has been put in place so that we could understand God and His structure of authority. Number three, the picture of family is woven in the entirety of Scripture. So that's why I want to focus on the family tonight. We have one chance, brothers and sisters. Do we not? And I'm in the middle of it. I have young children. I don't even have a teenager yet. So some of this is a little bit hard to talk about. Because I know some of you have battled immensely. And I want to assure you that I want to walk with you in that. I am not here to tell you how to do it. Because I don't know how to do it. I have not walked your shoes. I've seen my parents walk their shoes. But I've not experienced it yet myself. But as a young father, There is nothing that discourages me most is when an older father says, you wait till you have teenagers. Oh no. Walk with me in those years. Teach me. I want to hear from the older people and say, here's where I went wrong. Here's what I would encourage you to do. And I'll I'll, I'll walk with you. That's what I want. That's what we need to do. I... When I talk about these things tonight, I'm not condemning anyone. My heart goes out to you. You've struggled. Some of you have struggled. I know you have. Are struggling. A lot of tears shed. And it may happen for me. But can we at least not take that and be scared and say, well, this is going to happen. Can we establish some things in our hearts tonight And say, we will, for the sake of the kingdom of God and his bride, put an effort into teaching and training our children about what it means to be part of the bride of Christ, the local body of Christ here. We have one chance. And if we mess with that chance, we effectively mess with the future of his bride. We cannot give up. We cannot give in to those teachings, to the things that, to the hard things that we don't want to face. We must fight on. We must go on and teach. If we fail, we fail the future of God's kingdom. If I understand scripture correctly, we will be held accountable for that. We will. We surely will. We must teach biblical principles and doctrine. But brothers and sisters, it's more than that. We must live them. We must live. I can tell my son and my daughter all that I need to say. But what really gets them is when dad lives it. When the neighbor takes advantage of dad, and dad lives out, The principles and the doctrine of Scripture. When a brother comes up to dad and chews him out in front of everyone, and dad practices doctrine and principles of Scripture, when dad has a chance to make extra money because he could pull a fast one, and he doesn't, and they know that. When dad pays his taxes. When dad honors and respects the authorities in his life. His bishop. His brothers and sisters in the congregation. That's the way it is. And when he sits down with them. At the supper table. At breakfast table. And you talk about the things of scripture. And they have questions. They say, Dad, what about this? We teach, do we not? Deuteronomy talks about that, doesn't it? It says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. That's all the time, brothers and sisters. We continually talk about what Scripture Teaches and the doctrines that we are to teach to our children. We do it. We live it. We practice it. What are some specific things that we do teach to our children about the church? We, we desperately need our families to respect and honor the Bride of Christ. There is, there is a, an enormous amount of disrespect the church and the local congregation you and I can probably name off quite a few people who have left our settings now I'm not here to preach just Anabaptists but I will say this that I believe the Anabaptists live as close to the apostolic church as anyone out there I I believe that with all my heart. I'm just starting a book on the history of the church. And it is very clear to me that the Anabaptists still practice what the apostles practiced back then. Having said that, that gives us no place for arrogance and patting ourselves on the back. But we do it with humility. We practice what Christ taught. And there is a disrespect and disregard for the body of believers that practices that. We've seen it happen. And it hurts. And God is not pleased. And so we need to teach our children. What are those specific things? Number one. We need to teach our children an understanding that the local church is the bride of Christ. Do your children, if you would ask them, would they understand that? That you, here, this congregation, is part of the bride of Christ. It is that bride, that scripture we just read says that He is washing by the Word, and it's going to be without spot or wrinkle. That's what He's coming back for. And God is working that. God is working that. He's washing sanctification. And it's here. It's right here, locally. We need to teach our children that the local congregation is part of the Bride of Christ, and it is to be respected and esteemed and loved And cared for. But they won't catch it if we're not doing it. They will not catch it if we're not doing it. They will catch if we're not doing it. They will catch it. I've already found out. They do. They catch on. When dad is a little bit disgruntled, they catch on. They do. Number two. We need to teach our children that it is in the local congregation where we learn to grow as Christians. It's where spiritual life is nourished. It's where we learn to do all the one-anothering. Love one another. Admonish one another. Care for one another. That's where we... You don't learn it out there. You'll never learn it out there. It's in the local body where we submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. You cannot separate the church and the family. Underneath that number two, I have a couple other little headings that I would like to to add. So underneath number two, teaching that is in the local church That's where we grow spiritually. Here are some of the things that we do in the local church. The family needs to understand that the family needs to be redeemed. Redemption for the family is in the church. The redemption of any sinner results in his being added to the church. Okay? And it is in the church that sanctification of the individual takes place. Secondly, the family needs to worship together. Your family needs to worship together. You need to do it at home. But they also need to see you and them collectively come together with other families to worship and be together. We need to teach that and practice that. Household needs to experience praising and worshiping God together with other families. Our hearts are united together by the Holy Spirit when we collectively worship together. Thirdly, the family needs definition. It is within the local congregation that we begin to understand what it means to be a godly man. Young men, it is in this congregation where you begin to understand and see what it means to be godly men by these men that are sitting in the pews that are older than you. Young ladies, it is in this congregation where you begin to understand what it means to be a godly woman. It's not out there. It's not on the mission field. I hate to say it, but it's not. I'm all for missions. We spent time on the mission field. But it is here. It is here. God has ordained the church to do such. The family needs definition. It is where we begin to understand how we should live as young Christians. It is where we see leaders take leadership. It's where we see fathers teaching their children, teaching biblical doctrine. And the word doctrine scares a lot of people. Today's Christianity says let's not let's not preach doctrine. A doctrine divides. And yet, in the same breath, they will say they love the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you know if you love the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't know His doctrine? You you must know His doctrine. You can't. It just doesn't fit. Doctrine is part of being a Christian. And doctrine is in here. It is the way of life. This is how we learn here locally how we do that. Fourthly, underneath that heading, number two, is the family needs instruction. Sad to say, too many of us get our instructions from other things. Society, the evils of society, Hollywood. We need the church, brothers and sisters. We need the church. It is in the congregation where I learn instruction where I'm instructed in the word when I where I where my family is instructed in the word and they see dad being instructed they see mom being instructed they're instructed it is in that in the local body that the family is instructed we need to be instructed we need our young people and I this is something that I just am becoming so aware of and hear my heart in this young people you need to respect the gray hair. There is this drive, and hear what I'm saying. I, I want to say it graciously, but it burdens me a great deal. There is this drive that says we need to cater to our youth, we need to be very, very careful with our young people. They need to be loved. They need to be nurtured and guided. That's not what I'm saying. But in that comes another alien philosophy where it says children are wise. They know. They, They don't. They are immature emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. They need guidance. Young people, listen to your fathers. Listen to your mothers. Listen to the old men sitting in your congregation. Because they have walked that path way more years than you have. And they can tell you, with pretty accurate speaking, what you're headed for, or what you can expect, if or when. Listen to the old men, the old ladies. Scripture talks about that when the king, in the Old Testament, the young king—I think it was Absalom's son—am I thinking right? Where he he was now king, and 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 the old man came and said, "Please don't raise the taxes. Don't be be merciful to us." And he goes back into his palace. This is my words, and he sits down and thinks about this a while. And then he gets his young buddies around and says. I should do. I'll be even worse than your dad. Yeah. He follows the counsel of the young. Blew that kingdom wide open. Trouble. You see what I'm saying? When we listen and we we indulge our next generation incorrectly, we're headed for trouble. We must guide and lead them in love. We must hear them. But more importantly, young people, you must hear the instructions of your fathers. That's scripture. That is scripture. And I will guarantee you one thing. I will promise you this. When you you bend your ear and your heart towards your fathers, towards your leadership, towards towards the older people, their heart will bend towards you. And they will be very patiently very patient with you. There is nothing more thrilling to a minister than when a young person wants to learn, has an open heart to learn and be instructed. I can go a long way with a young man like that. But when a young man just doesn't want to hear, does not want to, it breaks your heart. You are. Scripture talks about that. That's a heart of rebellion. And when that happens, often leadership pulls back and says, you must learn the hard way. You don't want that to happen. So it is in the church, families, brothers and sisters, young people, that we learn these things. We are instructed. Going on, those were headings underneath number two. Number three, we teach our children by action to live sacrificially in giving ourselves to the church and caring for my brothers and sisters. We teach our children to care for our brothers and sisters. And we take Christ's example to be our motivation. Christ left his home in glory to live here. It was for his church. And he patiently taught the people and those same people would eventually reject him it was for his church and then we see him crying in the garden great enormous amount of agony drops of blood for his church and then he was beaten and spit on for his church and then he was crucified And my sins were put on him. For his church, he died. For his church, he died. And then we see him rise gloriously for his church. He cares for his church. And that is the example we take. We care for the local body of believers. Number four, we teach our boys to be godly young men. And we do this, fathers, And mothers, (sighs) you might cringe at this. We teach our young men with a vision in our hearts as parents. For them and their future role as a leader in their home. And possibly a future leader in the bride of Christ. That's the vision we need to cultivate in our minds and in our hearts as parents you say well honey I ain't going to put him in the ministry no you're not God may that should be our focus turn to Titus Titus chapter 1 let's go to Titus chapter 2 this gripped me a number of years ago Titus chapter 2, it talks about, and this is Paul admonishing Titus. And he says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, that's the older men, be sober and be temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. And going to verse 3, and then he goes, he talks about the women. He says, and the aged women likewise that they be in behaviour as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young men women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Verse 6. Young men likewise exhort to be sober and, and that, that's where it stops in verse 6 did you catch what he just said he had this whole list for the young ladies older ladies, women, sisters you're to teach the young he has this whole list and then all he says is the young men, uh, you just be sober minded, that's all that's all he says in that chapter but he has this whole list, and the sister's over, there, yeah, I know, that's what he says. The, young, the men can just, no, turn back to chapter 1. Verse 5. He's already given the qualifications, and this should be our, our foundation. Brothers and sisters, husbands, fathers, wives, mothers. Verse 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. That is the standard for the young men. Now we say, well, that's for church leadership. Absolutely. How many of you would rather have your daughter marry someone with these qualifications than someone that has his pants hanging out just kind of like this oh no 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 here is our standard this is our standard Amen. that is where we I, that just grabbed me when I it's exciting because it, there, is, there is vision for the future of the bride of Christ that is where we that is where we take it to We all know. Do we not? That is as good as I can make it sound. It's not that easy. It is not that easy. Because we have an enemy. That comes in. And tries to get us. And we must remember. And keep in mind. Our own sinfulness. And we teach. And we train. Our children. About the bride of Christ with all patience and love, keeping in mind that I too am a fallen man. Because if we come across holier than thou, better than you, and we're going to force them into it, it's not going to work. But when they see their dad, a broken man, trying to do and live according to Scripture and doctrine, then Then we have room for the next generation to be godly seed. Number six, the last one, and I already touched on this. We do all of this teaching and instructing with humility, realizing our own sinfulness and our fallen tendencies. We are patient. In closing, I have a quote. You cannot ignore the family and have a healthy church. And you cannot ignore the church and have a healthy family. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's kneel in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your truth and your word. Your faithfulness to us. And I pray a blessing on each family here tonight. God, I know, and you know even better than any of us, the struggles that some of them have faced. You know the young families. God, I pray that you would, you would move For the sake of your bride, for the sake of your kingdom, not for any glory in us or them but for your sake, you would move in these families, in this congregation that this part of your bride would be, be pure and unspotted that the next generation could be taught the value of your bride, the one you are coming back for God's Son, Jesus, our Savior, is coming back for the Bride of Christ. Fathers, they endeavor to teach these truths to their children. Would you bless them? Give them wisdom. Much patience. I pray, God, that if there are any children or or young person here tonight whose heart may be turning against, that you would keep that from happening. Your spirit would move in that person move their hearts towards their fathers and their mothers. And you would move the mothers' and fathers' hearts towards them. And together, they would learn to walk in the local church as you have dictated in your word. Thank you, Father, for their attendance and their attention tonight. Would you bless the word as it was spoken? We give it to you We give you all honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.